This morning our passage is Luke chapter 1, verses 57 through 80, and that should be on page 856 there in the Bibles in your seats if you'd like to use those to follow along. We have been following along in the Gospel of Luke as God's preparation for the coming of Jesus are made known to build up the faith of Theophilus and all that would hear of what God has done. And so as we read this morning of the birth of John, later known as John the Baptist, let us pay attention to who God is, what he has done, and what that says to us this morning. Luke chapter 1, 57 through 80. Now the time for Elizabeth to give, came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father, but his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, His name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed, and he spoke, Blessing God. And fear came on all, on all their neighbors. And all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear holiness and righteousness before him all our days and you child will be called the prophet of the most high for you will go before the lord to prepare his ways to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our god whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on the high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. As a reminder, if you have been with us, or to inform you, if you haven't, a few months prior this fall, we were in the book of Malachi. As God addressed his people who were back from exile and yet were awaiting glory and kept asking God, what have you forgotten of us and why aren't you helping us? And God responds by pointing out their many sins and failures and rejections of him. But in the midst of that, he points to a day of full restoration. He points to a day when he will send one who will prepare the way of the Lord. And we know from Scripture, that John the Baptist is the one spoken of in Malachi, the one to, that comes to prepare the way of the Lord. And Zechariah prophesies of that in this passage. 
But something so interesting in paying attention to what God is doing here is that even before God prepares the way of his Messiah, the visitation of the Lord in John the Baptist, he is preparing the one that prepares for John in Zechariah and Elizabeth. That God, according to his faithfulness, that God, according to his sovereign rule, is working all things out to prepare his people and to prepare his servants for the great day of deliverance. God has all things worked out, preparing for the salvation. Let's pray that as we attend to this passage, we would see God's work at hand in preparing the great day of his visitation and redemption. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the birth of John. Thank you for the testimony of Zechariah and Elizabeth. Thank you for what we read of this morning that points us to you. Continue as we reflect upon it and as we study it together to work in us, to show us yourself, to unite us together in you that we might respond as the people prepared for your salvation. This we pray in the name of Christ. Amen. If you spend any time on the internet, you will get offers for transformation. In fact, not just on the internet. It, it's many decades older time reading magazines, listening to the radio, watching TV. But if you spend any time on media, you will get offers for transformation. Shop here to transform your living room and your lifestyle. Sign up here to learn a trick where you can have passive income that will make you rich and transform your lifestyle for years to come. Learn this dieting trick. And not only will you lose weight and be transformed in the way you look, but your eczema issues, your digestion issues, your split ends, everything will go away. Why? Well, people only sell or try to sell what they think people want or will be convinced that they want and need. And so many of us long for transformation. So many of us desire change for that thing that we can acquire for that process that we can commit to in order to bring about that profound change and in that reality is revealed two truths about us that we often are not where we wish to be that our circumstances are not often what we want and the second is that we think that change is within our grasp if we find the right product, if we find the right technique, if we find the right leader, change is within our grasp. And in our passage this morning, we see a man transformed, Zechariah, physically transformed from being unable to speak to speaking, changed in his outlook, changed in his deportment. But the transformation of Zechariah comes not from within, but without. While there is heart change, there is internal change, it starts not inside Zechariah, but outside. It's not a technique, but it is the person of God working in and through him. It is the faithfulness of God that transforms Zechariah. And in that transformation, we see a transformation of his faith, we see a transformation in his hope of salvation, and in his witness. God's faithfulness transforms Zechariah. 
And as profound as that transformation is, I do want to be clear that I'm not necessarily claiming that Zechariah was outside of the covenant, that he didn't trust or believe in God, that he was outside of salvation, and this is a moment of conversion. Chapter 1, verse 6, where we began to read of Zechariah and Elizabeth, it says they are blameless and obedient to the Lord. But he was pious and yet a doubter. And in the time that's passed between the opening of Luke's gospel and our passage this morning, there is renewal, there is growth, and there is change. And as we see how God's faithfulness transforms Zechariah, we see how those of us, whether we are those that already believe and are following Jesus and need more, desire more, or there might be those of us who don't trust Jesus, wherever we are, there is hope for change. There is hope for growth. There is hope for transformation, not within us, but according to the faithfulness of God. And so looking to God's faithfulness leads to transformation of our faith, our hope for salvation, and our witness. That's what I want us to look at this morning. But before looking into the results of that transformation, I do first want to point to what God's faithfulness looks like in this passage and what this passage shows of his faithfulness to Zechariah and Elizabeth as it started in the beginning verses of Luke's gospel. So to do so, we have to look back to the start of the story, which is not in this passage, as I said, but in the opening of the gospel. And it starts with Zechariah going to the temple to pray on behalf of the nation to offer incense, and the angel Gabriel appears to him and says, your prayers have been answered, you will have a son, you will call him John, he will be filled with the Spirit. He will serve in the spirit of Elijah. He will make ready God's people for the Lord. And how does Zechariah respond? He says, how shall I know this? For I am old, and Elizabeth, my wife, is advanced in years. He doubts. He asks for proof. And at this moment, God could have abandoned him. He could have said, never mind, I had intended to bring about the one to prepare the way of the Lord through you and Elizabeth, but since you don't believe, I'm going to find someone else. No, instead, Gabriel, on behalf of the Lord, rebukes Zechariah, makes him mute until the words that Gabriel has spoken come to fulfillment. So when we come to this morning's passage, we see God's words fulfilled. We see the birth of the improbable son fulfilled. Elizabeth gives birth to a son. We see the naming of that son as the, as the angel foretold. They call him John. And then we see the discipline removed. What has Zechariah done in the prior months between the opening of Luke's gospel and the events of today's passage? But he has seen God work. He has seen God not abandon him. He has seen God keep his promise, the promise to give him a son, the promise that his name will be John, the promise that the loving discipline he has administered to him will be lifted at the moment of the fulfillment of those promises. He has seen God be faithful. And the result is his transformation. And the transformation starts with his faith. Whereas Zechariah trusted in God broadly, obeyed the laws, kept the commands, 
the initial response to God doing something amazing, promising something amazing that he and Elizabeth in their old age would have a child was doubt, was skepticism. But here as the baby is barely born, he prophesies in faith with the help of the Holy Spirit that God has redeemed Israel. He prophesies over the newborn child that he will be the prophet of the Most High, that he will prepare God's people for salvation and the visitation of the Lord. Zechariah goes from one saying, how will this happen? To one who boldly asserts that those things that have not yet happened will happen because he's seen the faithfulness of the Lord. And in seeing God's faithfulness to him, he testifies that this is faithfulness, not just to him. God hasn't just been faithful to his promise to Zechariah, his promise to Elizabeth, but God has been faithful to his people. That what he's seeing as the fulfillment of God's promises isn't just words spoken to him and Elizabeth through Gabriel, but the words that God has been speaking to his people throughout history. As he opens his mouth to prophesy, he says, God has raised up a horn of salvation for us as he spoke by the mouth of his prophets. That it is consistent with the mercy that God has shown their forefathers. And we know how Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and other forefathers were not faithful. It is in keeping with the oath that he made to Abraham to grant that we would be delivered from our enemies. Zechariah sees that God is faithful. And it transforms a doubter into a man of profound faith and trust. Perhaps you've experienced a, a little bit of this in, in certain phases of your life. Maybe as a student or an athlete, you have struggled. I, I don't get this mathematical concept. Uh, I, I'm struggling to write. Uh, I, I can't do this play. You don't believe that it's possible. And as you continue to struggle and you continue to doubt, your performance only gets worse until you have a teacher or an administrator or a coach who is unwilling to give up on you, who believes in you and helps you and commits to you to teach you that mathematical concept, to help you train for the athletic field, and it can help transform that student. If a faithful teacher, if a faithful coach, if a faithful boss who won't give up on a student can inspire them and change them, how much more so the faithfulness of God? When we are struggling with faith, and I'm sure that there are those in this room that are, and I know I've gone through periods where I've struggled in my faith, one of the things that can happen is we see the weakness of that faith. We see the smallness of that faith and in our anxiety about how weak and how little and how frail it is, we worry about how God will respond to that little faith. And as we fear that he will reject us, that he might abandon us, that he might wag his finger in judgment and consternation against us, it makes us withdraw even further. It makes us trust him even less. It makes us less likely to come to him. The reminder from this passage, the reminder of the truth of who God is, is that if we focus on the weakness of our faith, we will pull back. 
call then is not to focus on the weakness of our faith, but the profound strength of God's faithfulness. And when we see how he keeps promises to the faithless, how he provides what we cannot provide for ourselves, how he pursues those who even run away from him, as the way he treats Zechariah in his doubt, and the way that Jesus treated Peter and Thomas in their doubts, how we see that in his strength of faith, we can come to him with our weakness, and we can be transformed. That even his discipline he can use for our good because his faithful when we look to his faithfulness, when we look to the strength of his faith instead of the weakness of ours, it is amazing how it transforms that weak faith into strong faith because the object of that faith is unendingly faithful. And so looking to him with trust, then we can begin to hope that if he is trustworthy, if he is faithful, then there is hope for us for salvation. Seeing the faithfulness of God transforms Zechariah's hope for salvation. In this passage, where do we see Zechariah's hope for salvation? The opening passages in Luke point out that he is righteous, that he's blameless, that he keeps the law. He is a priest who has a position. He has a good reputation. He is a righteous man. And here at this moment, as God richly blesses his, profoundly gives him a gracious gift, he might see all these things as the reason that God has saved him from childlessness. But instead, what he sees in the light of God's faithfulness to him is that despite his weak faith, here the hope of salvation is God being completely faithful in his mercy and provision. His hope to be saved is in God. And, and notice as he is saying, God has visited and redeemed his people. As he speaks of salvation, as he speaks of forgiveness, as he speaks of mercy, John is eight days old. Or even if this prophecy comes a little bit later, he, he, he's a few months old. This is an infant child barely born. Jesus is not born. The emperor of Rome still sits on the throne with his legions of centurions, the strongest army in, known to the world in that day. That is what is before them. But having seen God's faithfulness to keep his promises, he treats salvation as good as done. His hope of salvation is not in himself, his faithfulness, his obedience, his hope of salvation for himself, his hope of salvation and redemption for Israel is in the faithfulness of God. Notice the language he uses here in this prophecy. Verse 68, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. Now on one hand, that language is looking back, right? God redeemed Israel out of Egypt. He bought them back. He brought them back. God redeemed his people who went into exile for their sins, redeeming them and bringing them back to the promised land. And yet here, he knows that they are still under the curse of their enemies. They are still struggling with their disobedience. And he says, God has visited and bought us back. He is the one who, despite their faithlessness, redeems them. That the Savior he is rejoicing in is the one raised up by God, a horn in the house of David, the horn speaks of, of, of the strength of an ox or a bull. It's a, it's a shorthand for that power of these large beasts. 
and you know, these horns were often used in battle to proclaim the might of the army. And as he is proclaiming that God has raised up a horn in the house of David, where is the house of David? The house of David is being carried forth by a forgotten carpenter in Nazareth. And the house cut off, and the house ashamed because it could not lead God's people in righteousness, and yet God has raised up a horn. And what is the basis of this salvation that is promised here? It's God's mercy. God has been faithful to show mercy to his people. Verse 78, because of the tender mercy of our God. Not because of our righteousness, not because of Zechariah's righteousness, not because of Israel's righteousness, but because of God's mercy. And the purpose of that salvation, it says, is to transform them, is to shine light on people in darkness and transform them who are not holy and not righteous to those who are able to walk in a way that is holy and pleasing to God in the path of peace. Salvation is completely an act of God's graciousness. A God who saves out of mercy, not deservedness, who saves by his power, not ours, who transforms us from those who aren't holy to those that can walk in holiness and pleasing peace with him. You can't save yourself. I can't save myself. We may be able to improve our physical health. We may be able to increase our financial wealth. We may be able to progress in our career. We might be able to have better relationships with some of the people that have hurt us. But we cannot defeat illness. We cannot defeat war. We cannot defeat death. And we certainly cannot defeat sin, which is at the basis of all those things that we cannot defeat. And so does God say, you're not strong enough, you're too weak, you're too doubting? I give up on you. No, instead, he is faithful to make a way of salvation, to redeem, to keep his promises, to restore and renew his people. He has sent Jesus to provide the payment for our sins so that we can walk in forgiveness. He says that all those who trust in Jesus, though they die, they will live forever with him with no more sorrow. His faithfulness transforms our hope of salvation away from that within us or that within our neighbor or that within the guru on TV or in the politician advertising for our votes. Perhaps you're in a place this morning where you struggle to believe that you can be saved because you've tried. You've tried to make better decisions. You've tried to work harder on yourself. Perhaps you've tried to love yourself more. But for all that trying, you can't keep your word to yourself. That plan is forgotten. That discipline is weakened. Things pop up that are outside of your control that dash your hopes of transformation. Don't let your weakness, don't let your shortcomings don't let your faithlessness steal hope for salvation. Rather, instead of looking to yourself as to what's possible, as Zechariah looked at his old body, at the, at the aged body of his wife, and say, it's not possible, look to God who says, I will love you perfectly, and does. 
look to God who says, I will forgive you and takes away the penalty of the sins that we deserve through the giving of his son for us. Who says, nothing can take you from my hands. And it's true. God's promises to his people and his faithfulness to those promises transforms those who are stuck, who are lost, who are broken into those who are saved and forgiven and restored. The birth of Jesus is the very hope of salvation. The reason you and I can know that if God says something, it is true. That if we turn from our sins to him, that he will forgive us and we know it's true. Having our hope placed in God who is faithful and able to save, his faithfulness transforms our hope of salvation. And because we have that hope and because we trust in him, it changes us into witnesses. The faithfulness of God profoundly transforms Zechariah's witness. As soon as Zechariah sees the fulfillment of the word of the Lord that was spoken through the angel Gabriel, with John's birth and his naming, he is transformed into a witness of God's goodness to others. Verse 64. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed. And he said, man, there's so much I got to tell you, Elizabeth. Oh, man, there's so much that needs to be dealt with. Oh, man, I have some things to get off my chest, people. You need to hear. Immediately his mouth was open and his tongue loosed and he spoke, blessing God. Blessing God. Now, remember, Zechariah is a priest, right? He's a respected individual among the community. He is important. And within the last year, he has had the profound honor of offering incense in the temple. He is an important man, a blameless man, an upright man in the community. Yet in this moment, he is so profuse in his praise of God. So clear is his testimony as to what God did in his faithfulness in blessing Elizabeth and himself with John that the people can't but pay attention. The people have fear come upon them because they're wondering what has God done and all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea and all who heard them laid them up in their hearts saying what then will this child be for the hand of the Lord was with him what is the basis of that witness what is that basis of the change that all these people are witnessing about Zechariah it is him worshiping God for his faithfulness you've grown up in the church or been a Christian for a while, we're familiar with the call to share good news, to evangelize, to tell other people about Jesus. And you may want to. You may feel you should. But you may also struggle with feeling unable or unsure. And while we can talk about methodologies, we can do things to grow in our education and understanding to help us, what we need to understand is the fuel for that witness the thing that makes Zechariah transform from a faithful servant to a profound witness is profound worship at the realization of God's goodness and faithfulness. Before we can be witnesses, we are called to be worshipers. And if we aren't seeing the faithfulness of God to us, if we're not reflecting on his faithfulness to his people as recounted for us in the story of Scripture, then it will be hard to be witnesses. But if we look to his faithfulness, if we want to be a witness, we start by being a worshiper. 
And then notice the type of witness that Zechariah and his household are transformed into. Notice that the passage opens up with them according to the practice and according to the instructions of Scripture to present him on the eighth day to be circumcised, to be named at the temple as was expected. So they're at the temple. And now we don't know, as, and this is the time in which the name is normally revealed. Now we don't know if Elizabeth says he's going to be called John because Zechariah had somehow communicated it to her. That's possible. The text doesn't rule that out. But we know that communication is hard here, right? He, they try to make signs to him, so it seems like Zechariah not only can't speak, but he can't hear. They have to go to the profound practice of, of trying to make these motions. And so it's unlikely that Zechariah has communicated all that Gabriel said, including the naming of this child. But whatever it is, whether it is through Zechariah, as God provided a way to communicate, or he does it supernaturally, here there is a cross-cultural, there is an anti-cultural movement. Because Elizabeth says he will be called John, and his friends and family, they push back. They say, that, that's not the way things are done. That's not normal. Are you sure? And as is too often when uh, we, we don't sufficiently respect women, we, we then go to the man and say, well, Zachariah, Elizabeth is off here. You, you need to set her straight. And this is another opportunity for Zechariah to be tested, right? Before, God said, I'm going to do something that is not normal. I'm going to give you a child in your profound old age. And in that moment, he said, that's not normal. So he doesn't think it's possible. And here in this moment, as the crowds are saying, well, well this isn't normal. He should be named after you, Zechariah. He should be named after your family. There is an opportunity to, again, go with the expectations of what is normal and how things happen. Here, again, is a possibility of falter. Just as he couldn't trust that God could do what isn't normal in giving them a child, he might question whether he should break with the name, with the norm and the naming of John. But having seen the faithfulness of God, he is firm in what he says, his name will be John. And then John, with all the attention of the community on him, the crowds around Judea, the, the neighboring villages, they're like, we need to keep an eye on this young man. God is going to do something, or something's going to happen. Let's pay attention to him. With people watching him, wondering what he will be, with the possibility of fame and honor as he grows, in fulfillment of God's plan, he doesn't stay in the middle of the crowds. He doesn't stay in the middle of town, but he goes to the wilderness, to the place of the prophets, to the place of rejection, to the place of preparation, so that he will be ready to fulfill his calling as a witness and preparer of the way of the Lord. Zechariah is changed from a doubter into a worshiper who thereby bears witness. And in that witness, he doesn't reject the culture. He doesn't re reject or attack tradition, but he is unwilling to be conformed to its expectations because he isn't dependent on culture's expectations or culture's acceptance because he is grounded not in their faithfulness to him, but in God's faithfulness to him. Because his hope is not in the people, his trust is not in them, but his trust is in God and what God has said he will do in the life of John. 
when God is faithful, when we know he is worthy of all honor and worship, we become witnesses to the world, but not according to the world's expectations. The acceptance is not the basis that we judge ourselves on. When we have circumstances of fame and acceptance, we don't say this is sufficient, but we trust in God. And that means we can bear witness in times when the culture doesn't accept us, doesn't approve, when we seem odd and different. Are you hoping that Christmas brings transformation? Maybe, kids, you are hoping for a toy that you think will change your life forever. Maybe there are some adults here that are hoping that with the right setup, the right preparation, maybe the right tradition will be established. The right unity in the family will come. And maybe there are some of you that have hoped in such transformation in the past, and tomorrow you have no expectations. You are just going into to tomorrow with cynicism because your hopes and expectations have been dashed before. Whether you are hopeful for that tomorrow or you are cynical about tomorrow, I would invite both the hopeful and the cynical to stop trusting in Christmas. But I invite you this morning to put your faith and hope in what Christmas points to, the faithfulness of God. The birth of Jesus as the prophets foretold. The birth of Jesus whom God spoke at the very beginning of creation when all mankind fell into sin when he said to the serpent, you will strike the heel of the woman's offspring but he will crush your head. The fulfillment of his promise to Abraham that through you all the nations of the world will be blessed. His promise to the people through Moses that you will be my treasured possession, a holy priesthood. His promise to David that he will have a son, an heir on the throne forever. What we look to at Christmas is not presence to transform us, is not family experiences to transform us, is not gifts to transform us, but the faithfulness of God who transforms. May tonight and tomorrow and throughout our life will we see a faithful God and receive his ability to make us into something brand new. Let's pray. Lord, you are faithful. Forgive us for our faithlessness. Forgive us of our doubt of your faith. Forgive us when we doubt of your goodness. But instead, Lord, open our eyes to see in the life of Zechariah, in the birth of Christ, in the restoration of Peter, in the use of Paul, in your faithfulness to a church that has been wayward and wandering, that you are faithful. And in looking to your goodness, will we be changed? Hear our prayer in the name of Christ. Amen.